0: Hey, hey, good morning. How we doing? Woo, yeah. Man, thank God for good worship and for the worship team leading us into his presence. I'm excited to be here with you today. I I can't tell you um, how excited God has placed a message on my heart. Before I jump into that, let's just take a quick second. I know we just pray. I just feel so led to pray right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you, God, for the way that you are already speaking to hearts, the way that you are already moving in us and through us, and that you have come and chosen to tabernacle among us this morning. God, I pray that you would speak through me. I don't want it to be my words that people hear this morning. I want to speak from behind the cross. And and so, God, as we hear your word, as we look at the scriptures, as as you speak to us, I, I pray, God. That we would leave changed, that something would be different about us, and that it would be our collective, uh, it, it would be our collective opinion as we leave this place, that we have not heard from Andrew, but that we have heard from God. Let it be so, right now, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, "Amen, Amen." Amen. Hey guys, a um, couple things. Let me. Clear a couple things up for you. I believe I shared the wrong date with Pastor Ivan. That human trafficking conference is going to be the 26th. So that's going to be Tuesday night, not Thursday night. So if you come Thursday, I'm not sure what will be going on. But if you come Tuesday, there will be a conference on human trafficking in the chapel here on campus. So I just wanted to tell you that. Also, you may wonder why we're asking you to sign up for the day of prayer. It's not so that you have to be here for the 30 minutes or whatever. Here's our goal, though. Here's what we'd like to see happen. I just think it would be so amazing if for 12 straight hours... The people of the bridge just cried out to God, and we got in here and prayed, and he's right. You don't have to pray audibly. We're going to have this thing set up just like church, so you're going to come in here, and it'll look like this, but feel free to grab a seat somewhere, or you can kneel here and, and just pray, and there will be someone hosting in the lobby out there. I'll be here for some of the day as well, and so, again, the whole reason why we're asking you to sign up is just because we'd like to see that whole 12 hours just a continuous prayer And so uh, I know some of you may have had a question about that. So I just wanted to inform you on that. Well, I'm going to jump right into the message today, if that's okay. I want to tell you that when Jesus came to this earth, he was here on a mission. And I believe that if I went around this auditorium, many of you could tell me, oh yeah, he, his mission was this, and, his, and, and I think we would have a lot of the same answers. But I love the way that Scripture puts it. Let's just look at what Scripture says, Luke 19:10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus came. And everything he did, all his teaching, all the miracles, every act and demonstration he did, everything he did pointed back to this mission. He was here for a singular purpose to seek and save the lost. And so while he was on this earth, Jesus actually only was in public ministry for three years. And on At the end of the third year, they crucified him. And so Jesus finished his portion of the mission... But before he was to die on that cross, he gathered his disciples together and he gave them a mission. He said, hey guys, I finished my part, but now I'm passing the baton to you. And there's something I want you to do. You keep doing what I was doing. So this is our mission. This is our marching orders as Christians. Let's put it up there. It's the Great Commission. It's Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus says this, therefore go and make disciples. In the Greek, that word go is actually as you're going. As you go about your everyday ordinary life, as you go out into this world, God is going to bring unbelievers near us. And so we want to be constantly thinking about to have it on our mind. Just like a soldier knows his mission, There's not a soldier who's who's on a battlefield that doesn't know their mission. This is our mission. We're supposed to be telling people about Jesus, making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So once you get saved, then the next step is baptism. And then teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. That's growing up in our faith. That's maturing in our faith. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus had a mission. He completed his part. He gave us a mission. And not only did he tell us what to do, but he promised us, if you will be about it, I will be with you. I will help you. I will empower you. Jesus told us before he left to go back up into heaven, he said, I must go and I'll send someone greater. The Holy Spirit is going to come and he will empower you to be able to do this mission that I'm giving you. But you know what I know? For most of us in this auditorium right now, you knew everything I just said. Like that's not news to you. Now, sure, there may be some people here, and you're new to church, Jesus, Bible. You're, you're kind of new to all this, and maybe, maybe some of that was news to you. But for most of the people here, I would say probably 95%. 95% of us knew that Jesus had a mission, and we could share that in some kind of wording. And we knew that we had a mission. We understood that the Great Commission has been given to us. We're supposed to go and make disciples. And so the question is, why don't we? By and large, why don't we? Why don't we live on mission every day? Why don't we share our faith? I'm sure some of you do, but do do we share our faith as if it's our mission? As if we know that our Savior has commanded us to do that? My hope is we started this brand new sermon series last week called Chain Reaction." And uh, my hope is that during this sermon series, I would be able to put some tools in your toolbox. So that when these conversations come up, you don't have to get nervous. You don't have to get most of the time, the reason why I hear that people say, Well, Pastor Andrew, I'm really I can't share my faith because I'm not sure what to say, and I'm still trying to figure this out, and I'm still trying to live right. And and so people have all these different reasons why. There, They can't quite do it yet. My hope is that by the end of this series, you would say, man, I am not scared. I'm not nervous in those conversations anymore. And maybe that you would even be willing to initiate those conversations. And so last week, Pastor Ivan preached. He brought a great word. Can we just say how much we love Pastor Ivan? Let's give it up. woo. Woo. And Pastor Ivan introduced us to this formula. Now, y'all don't think he came up with that. That was all me. (laughs) But I let him use it. Let me show it to you. Actually, this wasn't all me. Anyway, high potency, which is what we discussed last week, plus close proximity, that's what we're going to talk about today, plus clear communication equals maximum impact. I don't want to be a bad soldier. I don't want to go out and have a mission and not really complete my mission or not do a good job. When I get to the end of my life, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Anybody with me? I better, y'all better hope there's more of you. Anyway, so how do we get to maximum impact? We do it through this, through this uh, equation here. Last week we talked about high potency that we are called to be salt and light, that other people around us should know that we're Christians, that we should have a moral compass, that we should live with the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, guiding us, that we should live out what Scripture teaches, that that we would be highly potent. But friends, I want to tell you something. High potency, there's more to being a soul winner than just being highly potent. I think about salt. If salt is not in close proximity with the meat, it doesn't preserve the meat. It's got to be on it. The salt has to be on the meat to preserve the meat. Light. Light has to be introduced into darkness in order to pierce the darkness what am i saying i'm saying that high potency is good we ought to be highly potent christians we ought to be blood bought child of god living it out but if you stay if you're not around other unsafe people it doesn't do a whole lot of good i think about monks I don't know that I've ever met a monk, but I've seen a lot of them on uh, I've seen a lot of them on video and you know movies and that kind of thing. Here, here's what I know about monks. Monks, I, I think we could all say we respect and admire what monks do. I mean, it really is incredible. These guys are pictures of self-denial they ha- they take a vow of silence they take a vow of celibacy they they just deny themselves why so that they can focus on having a deep relationship with God like that's what it's all about for them they want to go deeper in their relationship with God but monks aren't really good at evangelism they're not good at telling people about Jesus you know why because that vow of silence. I'm, y'all missed a good chance to laugh there. Sorry about that. That was bad. I'm not in practice. I wasn't here last week. <clears throat> monks aren't good soul winners because they've secluded themselves. They're on a hill far away. They're not around other. Un, they're not around unbelievers. They're around other monks. So to win people to Jesus, we have to be in relationship with with them. That's the main point I'm trying to make. We have to be in relationship with them. So what I want to do right now is I want us all to open the Bible uh, to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be there the rest, of our, the rest of the day, the rest of our time together. Luke chapter 19. Turn there in your Bible. Turn on your device. Turn your head to the screen. Here we go. Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Let me pause right there. We don't know a lot about Zacchaeus based on this brief description in Luke that Luke gives us, but we may know more than what you think. See, because Zacchaeus was a tax collector, one thing we automatically know is that he was held in low regard. People did not like tax collectors. You guys can understand that. It's tax time right now. Nobody is like best friends with the IRS. Anybody here just real excited to send the government some money? If there are any hands, come see me after church, and I'll give you a bill that you can send them also, okay? He was held in low regard. People would not have liked him. And there was good reason for that. See, Zacchaeus was a fellow Jew. He was a Jewish person. He was living in a Jewish community in Jericho, and yet he was collecting taxes for the Roman government, the oppressive Roman government, this Roman government that was so harsh and so hard. And so the Jewish people saw that, and they just universally hated it. They were seen, these tax collectors were seen as traitors. And it goes beyond that. It's also because these tax collectors, one of the things they would do is that they would purposefully overcharge the people, and then they would pocket the extra. So they would say, like, your taxes are $175. You would give them that, and really you owed $150, and they would pocket $25. And the fact that Zacchaeus is wealthy, and he's the chief tax collector, he has made his way up through the ranks, is a pretty good indication that that was, in fact, the case in his life. And so just I, I need you to understand what kind of man Zacchaeus was, how Zacchaeus was viewed in and around the streets of Jericho. And so let's keep going. Verse three, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. The first point I want to make is that people who were nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus. People who were nothing like him, liked him. Zacchaeus was intrigued by Jesus. He was curious about Jesus. We know that because he made time in his schedule. He said, all right. I can't go in this morning. I can't go into work. I can't go collect taxes. I've got to make time because Jesus is passing through. He won't be here tonight. So he made time. He went out to see him. And then he realizes, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to see him. I'm too short. And so more than that, he was so curious about Jesus. He was so intrigued by Jesus. He actually goes and climbs a tree so he can position himself To be able to see Jesus when he comes by. Curious people who wanted to check Jesus out was something that happened all the time in his ministry. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that over and over and over again, the Bible talks about great throngs of people that were around him. There was constantly a crowd, tons of people would come. They came for many different reasons. Some were there because they knew Jesus could do miracles and they wanted to be healed or they were seeking healing. And so that's why some of them were there. I'll tell you another reason, and this one doesn't get nearly as much attention. Because you see in in the Gospels, people who would have an encounter with Jesus, they would hear him teach. They would go away and they would say, that man taught the scriptures with such authority. I've never heard that before. And they were intrigued by his teaching and so for a variety of reasons Jesus constantly had crowds around him who was in these crowds it was people that are like are all around us today there were there were Peasants and farmers and tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and religious people. This crowd, these crowds that came to see Jesus, I mean, they really ran the gamut. There was one side and there was the other. And the central focus was, we're curious about Jesus. And the thought hit me this week. Zacchaeus had to climb a tree. Yeah, because he was short and he couldn't see. But Zacchaeus had to climb a tree because the people who were closest to Jesus never looked back and invited him up. The people who were closest to Jesus didn't make room. And so Zacchaeus had to do what he had to do. And that leads me to the question, is your attitude toward lost people helping them find Jesus or getting in the way? All of us are like that crowd that gathered to see Jesus. Is our attitude toward lost people helping them find Jesus? Or is it getting in the way? Let's keep going. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Just note, he knew Zacchaeus' name. We don't know how. There's no indication of why he would have known his name. But Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was and he calls him by name. Verse 6. So he came down at once, Zacchaeus did, and he welcomed him gladly. Read this next part with me. All the people saw this and began to mutter. All the people. Everybody, that whole great crowd that had come to see Jesus, that crowd that was so thick, Zacchaeus couldn't even see, that whole crowd collectively begins begins to mutter, I can't believe this. Does he know who that is? Does he know what matter of man he's around? They began to mutter. See, this crowd didn't agree on a lot. You had prostitutes and religious people, sinners, peasants, everybody I listed earlier, they didn't agree on a lot, but they agreed on the fact that they were intrigued by Jesus and that Zacchaeus was disgusting, that he was the most vile person in the society. And so there were two points of agreement that they had, and now in one foul swoop, those two points of agreement meet. And Jesus, I believe, the scripture doesn't tell us, but I believe with all my heart, he knew exactly who Zacchaeus was, and he knew the reaction he would get if he invited himself to his house. And so everybody begins to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. Can you believe this? And he calls himself a teacher of the law, and he professes to be so holy, but he hangs out with the most vile of society. But, guys, this isn't the first time that Jesus was accused of being a little too close to sinners. In Luke chapter 7, the religious leaders are around Jesus and they actually begin to call him names. They said, You're a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of sinners and they were hurling those jabs, and those were insults, and they were intended to hurt Jesus and to ridicule Jesus, and they began to insult him. You're a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of sinners. Of course, we know Jesus was not a glutton or a drunkard, but I believe that third one, the friend of sinners, I believe he wore that like a badge of honor. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I'm around unbelievers. And we find out why in Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, there's a section where Jesus calls a tax collector to be one of his 12 disciples. Jesus calls Matthew and he says, Matthew, I want you to come be one of my disciples. I want you to follow me. Matthew immediately leaves the tax collecting business and he goes to follow Jesus. And we learn in the verses that follow that they actually had a party at Matthew's house. It's like, woo, Matthew's on the team. Let's party. And so they're at this party, and some of the religious leaders get wind of it, and they come. Verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners. Let me, let me just stop right there. I see humor in the Bible. I don't know if you guys like read and just see humor. But this is funny to me, okay? Many tax collectors and sinners. Like how bad do you be, how bad of a sinner do you have to be for you not to even fit under the classification of sinner? Like there's sinner and then if you get a little closer to hell, there's tax collector. (laughs) He's just a little bit further down. You're not doing too good. And so there was many tax collectors and sinners, so it was, it was just terrible company, came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Again, there it is. Why does he do that? Jesus heard them. And he said, It's not the wealthy, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. The reason why I hang out with sick people, the reason why when you see me, there might be tax collectors around and there might be sinners around. The reason why I'm a little too close to the people that you push away is because I can help. Because Jesus was the source and still is the source of all hope and all love and all help and all healing and all wisdom. And He says, So you're just gonna have to forgive me if I'm a little too close, but it's because I love these people too much not to. Remember, He came to seek and save the lost. He said, I gotta be here because this is where the people are that need me most. And so, the second thing that that this story highlights and the story of Zacchaeus highlights is that Jesus modeled close proximity. He didn't just tell us to do it, but He gave us a framework. He is the one who laid out the formula on how to be a soul winner. Jesus modeled close proximity. And again, He did it. He was around sinful people, He was around the sick because He was the doctor. A few years ago, I went to a doctor's office and uh, got there right on time, signed my name, went and found a seat in the lobby. And the lobby, when I got, it was probably half full, maybe two thirds full. And so I waited and I waited and I waited. And five minutes had gone by. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about in a lobby, don't you? A waiting room, it's horrible. No, but seriously, so I waited and, and now it's like 30 minutes past my appointment. Now the waiting room is full. And so my red hair began to sizzle. I was like, ha, 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 Somebody's got to answer to me. So I went up there to that window. and I was like, what is going on? I need some answers. People are coming in, but you're not taking anybody back. And she said, well, the doctor's actually not in He'll be back anytime, but it may be a while because there's some people ahead of you. Guys, a doctor's office without a doctor is pretty useless. A church that's not centered on Christ is pretty useless. And a Christian, even though you might have all the high potency in the world, you might be all the salt and light that this world can stand, but if you are not in close proximity, to the sinful, to the hurting, to the people who need love and help and hope. You're not going to do much good. Let's keep looking at Zacchaeus' story in verse 8. Good news is on the way. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus gets saved. Jesus was close to Zacchaeus because he knew Zacchaeus would give his heart to the Lord if he would simply stretch out his hand and and meet Zacchaeus where he was. Let me just keep reading. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus gets saved, and Jesus tells us that, but one of the other ways we know that is because all of a sudden, this money, this money that had meant so much to Zacchaeus his whole life, he has spent his entire working life cheating people out of money, being crooked in deals, taking, being seen as a traitor in the area, all because he wanted more and more and more and more money. That's where his hope was. That's where his security was. But on this day, everything changed because he met Jesus and he said, I have found something of far greater value. And so give the money away. If I cheated somebody, I'll pay you back four times. Give all of it away. I don't care. I've got Jesus. What else could I want? And then the really cool thing, We kind of end right where we started. Verse 10. There's our verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Friends, Jesus came to this earth for people like Zacchaeus, the sinners and the tax collectors. And Jesus came to this earth for you. And for you and for you and for you. And when he was on that cross, he knew your name and he knew your name and he knew your name and he knew your name. All of my sin, all of my shame was on Jesus when he was on that cross. And the reason he did it is because he knew we were in trouble. He knew we didn't have hope. And Jesus came to this world to give us hope. Number three, Jesus had proximity with a purpose. That's the reason he would get close to sinners, is to help them, to heal them, to touch them right where they are. You don't have to get your life right and then come to Jesus. Jesus will come to you and then he will help you. Just like the Great Commission, he said, if you'll do that, if you'll go out and minister, if you'll go make disciples of all nations and baptize them, I will be with you. And the same promise is for us. When we get saved, he will help us turn our life around. So I want to show you something really quick. Just talking about proximity with a purpose. A while back, I taught you this principle of circle of concern versus circle of influence. So I won't do a deep dive in on this. But, but here's the idea. Everybody in our life, every friendship, every relationship, we need to classify them in our mind. Don't like tell them, hey, you're in the circle of concern. <laughs> that may not go good. But we need to classify them in our mind. Are these people, that, the circle of concern, these are people that we want to be close to, we want to have relationship with, we want to be nice and help them. But we're not going to go bare our soul to them that's the circle of influence people. When when I'm making a big decision and don't know what to do, when I've sinned and need to confess it, when, when something serious is going on in my life, that's when I look for my circle of influence people. But there's this other circle. There, there are these people who are in our life and they're not saved. And you know they're not saved, but you are making a relationship with them. You're keeping them around. You're being intentional about pouring into them. Why? Because we want to be able to witness to them. And so the question I have for you is do you have three to five people in your life who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior? Do you have three to five people in your life? And for some of you, you're like, I've got 20. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Go after them. Be intentional. Seek those relationships. We call it invest and invite. We invest in the relationship. Then we invite them to church or we invite them to know Jesus. So go after that. But for some of us, and here's what happens if you've been a Christian for a little while. We go to church and then we hang out with our bridge group and our activities are at church. And, and so the longer we go, the, the more we can become insulated To the outside world. And so some of that is is okay. We want to be around like minded people. But guys, we have to have a circle of concern. We have to have some people in our life who don't know Jesus because that's the only way we can fulfill our mission to to, to the great commission, our marching orders. Several years ago, I was uh, on the phone with a buddy of mine. His name is Sam Powell. Some of you have met him, he's a friend and a mentor. And we were in Bible college together, and our junior year, he got a call from his home church, and they wanted him to come back and be the youth pastor. He was about a year and a half out. He was midway through his junior year, and so he just said, man, this is what I really want to do. And so he knew it would be tough. He was going to leave school, finish uh, over the internet, you know, finishing online classes, and then he was going to start his new job and all that, and he was married and had kids, and there was going to be a lot going on. It was going to be tough, but He just felt like this was where God was leading him. And so after after he left, Sam and I kept in close contact. And one day I called Sam. And he said, hey, man, uh, got some exciting news. I think I'm getting ready to coach my little girl's softball team. She was 9 or 10 at the time. And so me wanting to be the good friend, I knew I was in his circle of influence. I wanted to say, hey, Sam, now have you thought about that? I mean you're trying to finish school, you got all these credit hours, you're trying to work full time, you just started this new job, there's still a learning curve. And so I just rattle off all the list of his responsibilities. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Andrew, I know all of that. But I just feel so guilty. I feel like I'm missing the mark. Because when I was in Bible college, I had a secular job to help provide for my family. And so every day when I would go into work, I had all these unsaved people around me who I had the opportunity to tell Jesus, you know, tell about Jesus. And he said, now that I've moved back to Virginia Beach, now that I'm back home, I go to church and church related stuff. And I realized a couple weeks ago, I don't have any unsaved friends there's nobody that I'm close to. So I've got to do something. I've got to, I've got to position myself to be in close proximity. Well, when you put it like that, you know, I, can, I take back everything I just said, you know. And so I committed to pray for him. And actually, two of the parents, it was a husband and wife, two of the parents who were on his softball team, ended up uh, coming to his church All because he was willing to extend himself and put himself in a place to be in close proximity. Why do I tell you that? Because at 21 years old, I had never heard that kind of intentionality about being around the lost. I just, that was completely foreign to me. And I think we can all kind of learn from that. Do we have people in our circle of concern. And so that's why this week when you walked in, last week we, uh, we had them on the table. This week we actually handed them to you. Go ahead and put up the slide for the Easter invite packet. I said three to five people. That's why we put these blank spaces right here. My prayer is that you will get alone in a room with this card and begin to pray. God, would you show me my three to five? And you would write their names on this prayer card. And then we as a church are going to commit to pray for the names on our prayer card from now until Easter Sunday. And at some point between now and Easter Sunday, I want you to go out on a limb and invite them. And so we're going to be praying. We're going to be praying. then there's some invite cards, some just because cards. We put all that in there because we want to make it easy for you. But guys, we're not just gonna pray, we're gonna fast as well. And so starting next Sunday, next Sunday, we're gonna fast. And I know we've shown you a video about it and we've got a resource on the app that tells you how to fast. Just hear me when I say, as your pastor, I'm asking you to fast. Maybe this is the first time you've ever fasted. Let me just start small. Don't say I'm fasting food seven days. It might be too big. Might be a bit too ambitious. But sm- start small. Go after it. Go, let's, let's every single person decide what it is we're gonna fast over 21 days and then the whole idea is that we deny ourselves of that so that we can be reading scripture, so that we can be praying. We push something away so we can pull something close. Now I will say, some pastors harp on this. I'm not a harper. In the Bible, fasting was always food. Biblical fasting, you always see food. But that's not, I I just think anytime we sacrifice, so it can be social media, it can be television, maybe you wanna include some element of food in there, whether it be soft drinks or coffee or sweets or, or whatever it is. We're gonna start next Sunday and then we'll finish up on the Saturday uh, before Easter. So on Easter Sunday, go to grandma's, eat that meal with no regrets and we'll all be excited to do that. But I wanna encourage you, use those invite packets. One last thing and then I'm gonna let you go. We're talking about close proximity. I wanna show you what 1 John 4, 9 says. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. God knew that we had no hope, that we were helpless, that sin had separated us from him. And so he sent his son Jesus to this earth to be in close proximity to us. And for some of you, You don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior. What I want to do right now is I want to take an opportunity to pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And guys, I believe that if you say this prayer, I'm going to ask every single person here, every person, every voice to repeat after me. And then if this is you, if you're saying this and you mean it in your heart, friend, I believe that you'll be saved right here this morning. Let's pray, Heavenly Father, everybody repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. We believe that he is our savior. We pray that you would forgive us of our sins. Come live in our heart. We wanna be saved. In Jesus name.